there hey how you doing i have tried to record this intro quite a few times because clearly i'm completely out of practice um hello <laughs> this is amy from britain's east and southeast asian network back with our newest season of but where are you from abc podcast wow um i'm very excited to be back over the summer we've all had a wee break personally i've moved house somewhere a bit newer bit more pleasant scenic views of TK Maxx and Lidl I'm very happy about that I know don't be too jealous uh yeah on top of the regular life changes uh, we've also navigated the slow lifting of lockdown how did you do during that time you know meeting other people slowly socializing again but also still a bit scared of spreading corona it's a weird time isn't it it's a pretty weird time I managed to meet up with a few good friends that I met online via the social media space. So that was really cool. We went for hot pot dinners, late night karaoke. There was a lot of emotional hugging because, you know, there's that bizarre feeling of meeting someone for the first time who you've been chatting to for ages online and being really vulnerable with and telling them your, you know, deepest thoughts. And then all of a sudden they're right there in front of you. And then I'm a very much, I love you person. I, my love language is just telling you. So especially with the combination of good food and booze inside me, I'll be like, I love you. I appreciate you to people who have never previously met me before. So if you are one of those people, I'm very, very sorry, but it's just the way I feel. <laughs> it's really cool, though, because obviously you're chatting in DMs and then all of a sudden you just want to tell people how much they mean to you because they've been so important to you during a time where you felt very isolated. Certainly for me, that was the case. And I really do feel like especially events like EC Heritage Month, where we could all come together and celebrate and be happy, was really well deserved. We all needed an ease up. We all needed to come together to give each other virtual hugs and physical hugs and just feel validated and feel happy knowing each other because previously, certainly for me, it's just been a sad time, a sad, sad time, tear running down my face. But now those tears are dry, so I'm very happy indeed. And even more happy that I, in that time, managed to meet our two amazing guests for today in this journalism-themed episode. So those two people who I had the pleasure of knowing and meeting and getting to understand their work and learning from was Angela Hoy and Suyin Haynes. Uh, a bit about Angela, she is a London-based writer, journalist and editor. Her bylines include Eater, Huffington Post, Independent, Metro, Refinery29 and Vice, among other publications. She is now the food and drink writer at Time Out. Her work includes reviewing bars and restaurants, and she reports on the intersection of food and culture, hospitality industry, and food justice. Please, please follow her on her Instagram, which is going to be at the end. She's going to tell us all what it is, because it is full of amazing food and brilliant photography. <laughs> okay, so if you follow Angela, you know why I'm laughing. But anyway, she is an amazing person. Suyin Haynes, our other incredible guest, she, her, are her pronouns, is a London-based writer and journalist. Suyin was previously with Time magazine, both in London and Hong Kong. She is now editor-in-chief at Gaudem, an award-winning media company committed to sharing the perspectives of people of colour from marginalised genders. I have personally learned so, so much from Suyin and Angela over the past year. We do touch on this a bit during the episode, uh, but I wanted to talk about how... Initially, when I first started speaking out a lot online, I used to feel quite a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, just felt like we were hitting walls a lot, trying to talk about what was happening um, with regards to the EC racism that was faced by a lot of people. And it's okay to feel anger. It's okay to feel the injustice and recognize it because it's horrible. But I really felt like I needed to have that frustration um, tempered, leveled, because being constantly angry is obviously not sustainable. You can really weigh yourself out. And believe me, a lot of us at BC did feel the burnout, you know, from having to constantly talk about it and trying to get change happening and it wasn't happening quickly enough. So knowing that people like Suyin and Angela are out there who are able to not only articulate how we're feeling, but also shine a light on possible solutions, on connecting us globally with other movements in the world and understanding what was going on 
who was really such a light in a difficult time. Obviously, their work is really expansive and goes beyond being EC. They write about so many different topics. And please, please Google them and read their work because it's absolutely fascinating what they do. I just want to say they're really wise people, basically, and I look up to them immensely. Uh, so, yeah, without further ado, please enjoy our first episode uh, of season four of But Where Are You From? with Angela and Suyin. Thank you for tuning in. after our hiatus so such a big honor thank you so much so yeah the first question is who is your inspiration this week so an opportunity for you to choose an Asian who you either know or is famous who I don't know this week you've just thought yeah yeah you're cool I think I really like you you're doing good things um so I'll go first I think um my one is Michelle Yeoh because I saw her recent trailer for a new movie which is called everything everywhere all at once and that pretty much describes the trailer um <laughs> I have no idea what's going on I know it's a science fiction film and um it just looks super cool even though I had no idea what was happening uh, my first thought was you know I read the description said it's about someone jumping through the meta universe and I was just like oh no is this Facebook related it's like Mark Zuckerberg inserting himself into our lives again but I really hope not I hope not don't want to spread fake news uh, but it looks amazing and yeah Michelle yeah, just really embodies everything that I really admire I think she's so cool so yeah she is my inspiration this week uh, so yeah maybe seeing do you want to tell us your inspiration um, yeah, I'm Cian and I'm not my own inspiration, but I was actually going to say, I was actually going to say Michelle Yeoh because I saw that trailer too, um, but maybe I'll go with, you know, in a similar vein, um, I saw the Spider-Man movie last night in um, risking, you know, risking, risking COVID crowds um, and there was a trailer for the new Matrix film. Uh, with Keanu Reeves who is you know my love um, and many people don't know that he's you know of of EC descent you know um, and um, I haven't actually seen the originals but the trailer looks really epic and there's this clip that I always think about when I think of Keanu Reeves he's on them um, it's on the Stephen Colbert show in the US and Stephen Colbert asks him what do you think happens when we die and he says, I know the ones that will love us. No, he says, I know the ones who love us will miss us. And there's just like something so beautiful and simple about that that I always think about. And it's just, he gives a slight pause before saying it. And it just always makes my heart feel like warm. <laughs> so I would say Keanu. Oh, I love, um, yeah, this is Angela Hoy talking. Um, but yeah, I love Keanu, like absolute top, like uh, man crush kind of thing. Um, I was also going to say Michelle Yeoh because I also saw the show and I love Michelle Yeoh and I'm so glad that she's finally getting her own time and her own film. Like she's an incredible woman, Bond girl, to doing all these like amazing martial arts films, like a Hong Kong icon, like love her. So I'm really excited. Um, but I think for my inspiration, I'm going to go along the journalism vein, um, just because we're talking about journalism. Uh, but there's, there's so many journalism inspiration and people that admire but at the moment like I've been really loving the work of uh, Clarissa Wei who's a Taiwanese Amer American-born ta uh, Taiwanese journalist and she's been doing incredible work for like years now uh, but she's recently brought out a new podcast with Whetstone magazine which is like founded by Stephen Satterfield um, which is a great magazine which I highly recommend anyone reading and it's that kind of dedicated to like food origins and culture um, like Stephen recently did uh, a Netflix show, like a docu-series on, um, it's called like High on the Hog. So it's basically about how, um, what was it, what was it about? Basically like how black people like basically brought a lot of food to America and their origins. So it talks about like the origins of like mac and cheese and that kind of thing. And it's, it's, it's incredible. Um, but yeah, she's got a, a new podcast with Whetstone and it's called like Climate Cuisine which I think is really important actually, especially now, especially with like the recent like, COP26 and all the environmental issues. Um, and it's just basically focuses on food that what we should be eating based on what grows well in our climate, why we should be eating the food that grows in abundance rather than, you know, something they can't really get. 
Um, and the first episode is all about cassava and how it's grown and how it's prepared and how we can eat it. Um, so I just think it's really important subject matter. And I can't wait to listen to more episodes. Like it only launched last week. So like every week, I think it's like a 10 part. But yeah, I'm really excited for that. Um, and she is my inspiration. I love her. Oh, that's so cool. I think, yeah, it actually goes on to my next question because I think it's so important to be able to see people who inspire you and sort of come from a similar background because I remember growing up and not knowing I don't think any um, journalists of an EC background and just you know you know when you're going through school and you're wondering what careers to do and because I rarely saw uh, people working in that field who I could identify with it's just sort of made me feel like oh you know um, maybe I can't do it so on that note I just want to know how did you both get into your respective fields like what started you on that path um, Suyin can we start with you? Yeah sure um yeah, I mean, just reflecting on what you said as well, I think it's great that there are, it feels like there are many more of us now as well. And in, you know, sort of roles that have more decision-making power, there's you know, Zing at Vice and then Helena Lee at Harper's Bazaar too. I think, you know, it's really cool to see to see that growth and, and that growing respect for our work as well. Um, so I guess I never, I never really grew up being like, I really want to be a journalist. And, you know, some some folks have that, sort of ingrained and, and that goal and five-year plan but I was sort of a bit disorganized and always knew that I loved writing and storytelling and just putting you know, words together in some respect but wasn't really sure how that translates to a career because you know I guess like you just mentioned I, I never really saw myself in the, in that way um coming from you know I was the first person in my family to go to university and that's I just didn't think that this sort of career would be one for me because I always assume that you need to have connections or know people or, you know, have some sort of in. Um, but for me, I, I did quite a bit of experience when I was at uni, just on the student newspaper and then did um, an internship at a publishing, um, a very small independent publishers. Um, and again, part of that is privilege as well, like being able to live in London and live with my parents, like while I was doing that. Um, and then applied for a bunch of things, got rejected for a bunch of things after graduating. Um, and then took a chance on this one because I was like, oh, the application is so easy. <laughs> it was just a paragraph long. I said, I'll do this quickly, but there's, there's probably not got a good chance. Um, but then they came back and, and, and said, yeah, and, and it was um, it was at Time magazine in the London Bureau. And I, I really wanted to make sure that I was like getting paid for my work. Um, so, you know, was not applying to unpaid things, was applying to things that were London living wage at least, which is still, you know, not the, not super high. Um, and then from there, that three month internship and they offered me a role in the Hong Kong Bureau. So I moved there in 2017 and then I moved back here in 2019 and then I came to Gaudem in 2021, so earlier this year. But I think it is important that, you know, I was doing work with Gaudem when I was in uni, sort of when it was just voluntary and, and just kind of starting up and those kind of, you know, those early days when everything was like organised over Facebook and it was super informal. And I think, you know, those kinds of experiences were really formative too because that gave me those skills like, you know, sub-editing, reading, spotting grammar and spelling and punctuation, I think was super, super helpful. And I think just mainly knowing, you know, what I looked for in a story and, and what, what was compelling me as well, definitely part of that growth. I love how you've gone uh, full circle almost and, you know, you started somewhere and then you know, all of a sudden you're editor-in-chief, which is so awesome because I remember when BC first started and we were talking about, oh, what publications, what media platforms do we really love? And I know the first one was Gaudet. We were just like, they're so cool. And we'd love to one day just be as respected as you guys are. And yeah, I just think it's so incredible. So when I first heard uh, that you had got that role, I was just like, my my mind just went, oh my gosh, that is so incredible. You know, I was like, <laughs> oh my God. Because I'd always, I'd always wanted to come back, but I, in some capacity, but I just didn't think it would be in this capacity and then sort of the stars aligned and I just decided to go for for the application but I didn't you know I, I'd always wanted to come back because it always felt like somewhere that 
you know, I was really aligned with in terms of its values and its mission. And, and Angela's done work with lots of work with us before and knows too. And I think it's been so formative in building up the careers of, of, of young journalists and emerging journalists of colour. So I, it's just, you know, an honour for me to be back, really. So cool. I love it. Um, how, yeah. So, Angela, you, how did you come across doing journalism? What inspired you? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I was a little bit different to Stu and I felt I kind of knew maybe um, probably from like A levels, I would say, like you're 11, like 16. Um, I just, well, I just think I just really, really loved magazines. Like magazine was my thing. I spent all my pocket money on collecting all the like teen mags, like sneak, smash hits, <laughs> mean, sugar, and then kind of slowly graduating to more like ritual magazines like Enemy, Koran, Alternative Press. Um, and like Rolling Stones and then obviously moving towards like fashion as well like I really wanted to start out and be a fashion journalist so I really wanted to go into like ID magazine Dazed and Vogue like I loved everything about it pulled out all the magazine like spreads stuck them on the wall um, and I just loved everything about the medium just you know the smell the touch of feeling like holding a print um, and just like absorbing all the amazing like evocative like feature writing and the compelling and compassionate interviews and like the design layout, like I love it. Um, so I've always wanted to make my own magazines and I'm so grateful to be able to work in magazines and be able to kind of achieve what, my dreams. Um, and I think from how I got in, I just uh, like, it was really from like my media and English teacher who really pushed us to be like, oh, like go for it. Like, I don't see why not. Um, and especially, I think it's a lot different and harder for someone who grew up in like Wales and valleys where there's not as much opportunities as being in the city. So I feel like there's always that mindset where you're like, okay, you have to work extra hard because you come from like in the middle of nowhere and you don't have as much opportunities. And that makes you a little bit more hungry and drive for what you want. And uh, yeah, so I think from there, I just did loads and loads of like work experience, like a lot of free work, a lot of free internships. Uh, I just worked at like local newspapers. Sadly, like a lot of like regional newspapers have like been hit, which is kind of crap. Um, but yeah, I used to work for like all the local newspapers, like the Ponty Prive Observer and the Bridgend. Uh, I can't remember what it was, it was like Bridgend one. Um, but I felt like with all the local newspapers, that's where you really got to know a lot of, um, kind of really hone your skills. Like I did everything from court reporting. Um, and then there was like this old lady that used to come into the office and she would write on this like cat piece of paper. And it was all like cat stationery. It'd be like, oh, the park is too loud. Like you write a story on people like, you know, complaining about the park. And it was just really sweet. And you got to really know your community. You really got to know uh, what was going on. And it was very grassroots um and yeah from there I just kind of learned how to you know write to a tight deadline and write um you know compact short stories and making sure that you stick to deadlines and uh void counts and how to kind of sell the writing as well so I learned a lot um and then I did undergraduate in journalism in Cardiff and then I went on and did a master's in Cardiff like I think that's very overkill in terms of journalism sense um I definitely don't think you need to go and do an undergraduate or a degree in journalism at all now I just think that they are um so many different routes and options and ways to get into journalism now like whether it's through you know starting a newsletter or writing on medium and just you know pitching to some of your favorite publications like I feel like that you don't need to have a undergraduate to get in um unless you know you want to go into more hard-hitting like news journalism like bbc or if you want to be more of like a specialized like political editor and it's more for like broadcast journalists i would say that is uh for those who want to go into journalism for undergrad uh, undergrads but yeah i think for me for first job like Lexian, it was very hard. Um, I, I got an insane amount of like rejection, didn't get any jobs, like moved back with my parents. It was very like sad and depressing. Um, and then I started off actually like, freelancing first. Like I, I couldn't find a staff job in journalism. So I just started writing a lot for not a lot of money. Um, one of my first jobs was actually writing a lot of, uh, you know, voucher, you know, the voucher codes. I wrote all the coffee for that. I probably wrote about like 10,000 words a day and I was being paid peanuts. So that wasn't great, <laughs> but it was like something. I mean, I was writing every day um, and it was like an insane amount for not a lot of money. And then through there, I kind of got my foot in the door through working in um, more content marketing and ad agencies. 
um, which actually I found a lot better because that actually helped me gain a lot of uh, like commercial contacts and um, coming in from like a different perspective rather than like journalism through and through, even though I've got those skills. Um, it definitely helps in terms of like being a freelance journalist today. I think you really do need those like commercial contacts to kind of have the money because that's where, it is and that's where the money is. But you can still be very creative in terms of, you know, working with brands, writing social copy or coming up with ad campaigns and uh, writing you know, copy for social media or whatever. Like there's a lot of creativity in that sense. And I think a lot of people, especially me when I was like very come from a very traditional journalism background. Um, not realizing like commercial side can actually be as interesting and um, I think a lot of people see it as like not proper journalism when you know it is is just a different form of it um, and then alongside all the commercial stuff and like ad agency stuff I've always freelanced so uh, I've always freelanced for like publications that I've really loved like Munchies, Vice um, and I've written stuff for, like Out Them as well and, like Time Out and Independent basically anyone who would have me like I would pitch whatever and uh, yeah so I guess like from freelancing and uh, those bylines kind of helped me secure like my job and just kind of go from there and it kind of opened more doors and yeah I think it was just me it's mainly luck I think a lot of times in terms of like getting your foot into journalism is luck and some of it is actually down to a lot of like who you know and what you know that kind of thing and it's quite sad that you have to really put yourself out there in terms of like contacts because a lot of uh, journalists uh, kind of rely on the mates which is kind of a shit thing uh, are we allowed to swear oh my god I'm sorry. I mean I swear a lot I'm sorry that's right. <laughs> um, but yeah that's how I got in really it was like not kind of conventional but not conventional like I went through a more conventional route but I'm kind of glad I did the way that I did but yeah Angela, I realised that you were probably responsible for me going to loads of really random hairdressers in London, like with my little voucher code. <laughs> probably, yeah. It's like a poor like, student. I I was everything. Like, it was it was crazy. Like I think <laughs> we'll probably get into it later, but some of the most random stuff like I've written for like why no, tell us. Like, yeah, tell us the random stuff. I want to know. This random thing. Um, so this like agency that I work for, they had like every weird client they've had like forklift trucks I've written a lot about forklift trucks I've written about threesome website for like cougars this is like threesome.com like I've written copy for that uh, <laughs> I've written obviously like voucher I've written for you know better health you know there's like better health gyms and leisure centers I've written all the copy for that um yeah I think like I think that's the thing it's like nothing is too weird or wonderful like just go for it <laughs> in a way and I think like even though those are things that aren't particularly like interesting to you like I think it's a good experience in terms of you know honing your writing and really knowing your tone of voice and your audience as well uh but yeah I want to know what scenes the weird weirdest things that she's written <laughs> no you're, you're right it is such good experience and I, I think what you said about like you know commercial writing and like copywriting in that way is so true those are like the building blocks of, of telling it's all storytelling it's all storytelling in a way even if it's not conventional seen as conventional journalism um I used to my first like work experience ever when I was 15 was at a magazine for um like parents of primary school children um and so I would be like writing things that I just were aimed at parents and I was literally 15 myself so that was quite funny <laughs> um, um and then you know I yeah just writing about you know it's student newspaper just writing about the things that you think are the biggest dramas ever on campus but really you know were so you look back and you're like oh my god I was so het up and thinking I'm gonna this is such a big thing I'm gonna break this story um but it does at the time it does mean mean things at the time um no I think I think I think that's so right it's, it's all about building up those skills in 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 different ways and it, and it can be done in the most unex, unexpected of ways as well I think that's the kind of the beauty of it there's no one route into journalism either and I think Angela you're so right and you know you don't have to have you know all these um you know all these prerequisites you don't have to have a degree now I think it's more common to actually you know more more, more and more people don't and it's about putting yourself and your work out there and and pitching and things um 
and there's no one yeah no one prescriptive route I'd say. Because I've noticed also that there are quite a few people, you know, not to mention be seen, but others too have started their own platforms that you don't need to necessarily go through formal routes that like you can literally start up a website, like pay for a Squarespace or pay for, okay, we're not sponsored by Squarespace, pay for any <laughs> uh, website provider. <laughs> Um, for a space and create that platform that you want to see uh, so yeah. I think that's really cool I think of like I think of Jenny um with Celestial Peach and you know the space that she's created as well which is not you know she's not on Twitter I don't think but she's not you know but she has her own space that she she's created you know for herself and her work and that work of interrogating food which I think is so beautiful and I think you know as well at Gowden when we ask people to pitch you know sometimes we ask for you know, previous clips and previous examples of writing but actually too often I, I'm, I'm more compelled by the pitch itself rather than the experience or, or where someone else has someone has had their byline elsewhere I think if you can win me over with a good argument and a strong story then that's all I need to know then it's our job to work with you on creating that story together oh gosh yeah I mean this would be amazing for people listening in and might want to enter journalism like what would you recommend what are the tips you would give them now if they really wanted to get started um, yeah and then like what we said kind of building blocks and just kind of get your foot into it I think for me um I wish I did this more when I was a young student journalist um and just like it's this mentality of like oh I'm a student journalist I'm not good enough I don't have the experience I think the for me was I just wish I was more curious and I got myself out there like I had great ideas um but I just felt very timid and I was very much of like a shy wallflower at the beginning of my career and I was just like oh I'm like inconveniencing you or I don't want to like write this story because I'm worried how it might be perceived but like actually no like just get yourself out there if you've got like Simeon said like if if you have a really good story and if you've got a really good argument or like an elevator pitch and you're like yeah then go for it and I'm sure editors will see that like they don't really care for bylines like if a story is good and they know like how they can angle it and they'll work with you to create a great story like one of the first stories that I ever got commissioned for Vice was um for Munchies which is like the food platform I wrote about what I knew um and I wrote about the dying uh, trend of like food, uh, dim sum trolleys like how they're kind of dying out and you know I'm not seeing any of them anymore like they used to be all the rage and it was more about the trend piece on like how uh, people are going for more like order services and I spoke to people in Chinatown and I spoke to people who were like you know had the jobs and like pushing trolleys and how hard work it is and why people were favoring over it and like that was one of my like, favorite pieces that I've written um and yeah and I think that's the thing it's like when you get yourself out there it's like no idea is too stupid or like too crazy like I've had some really dumb ideas and some crazy ideas turned down or like they got commissioned but it just didn't turn out or you know and I think just go for it like I feel like um I think you kind of do yes you do have to have like a thick skin in terms of journalism like just be expected to be re you know rejected a lot but in a way, that's how you grow, that's how you learn, and that's how you like know what's right and what you can kind of get your foot in the door. Um, so yeah, I think my tips would just be like, just be curious and just go out and get out. Yeah, I'd absolutely agree. I don't have too much more to add. I think that you know, building up that thick skin and building up that, you know, absorbing that criticism or constructive feedback and taking it back, you know, for the next time that you pitch an idea is so important I think perseverance you know just making sure that you don't um you know it's it is it is a game of rejections and I think it it, it does take a while to build that up but knowing that you, you know building up that confidence in yourself in your idea having that having that real belief in your idea as well because I think you know I read some pitches that are like and I've been guilty of this myself as well but are like oh this could do this or this might work in this way and it's like no you have to believe in your idea because if you don't believe in it then how would you get the editor to believe in it and I think that's just you know really you know even if it I think it's not you know first nature to us because like you know we're not used to bigging ourselves up in British culture more generally um, but I think I think it's um you know you kind of have to you're kind of selling selling that um and especially when you're a freelancer and it's a bit more you know you like as Angela knows you've got to go out there and you've got to put yourself out there otherwise you know you won't 
get any money coming in. So I think it's, you know, just super important to keep to keep persevering. And I think just thinking about, you know, coming back to what we were talking about earlier, just thinking about, you know, no job or no form of experience is like too small or un- unworthy, I suppose. You know, it can all be part of, you can always take those transferable skills and apply it to journalism. I think there are so many things that feed in. So being open to things that are, you know, maybe not as glamorous as, as writing like a magazine cover might be, but knowing that, you know, you're doing things that could help you get there one day. Yeah, because I, I read recently this stat that journalism as an industry is 94% white and that's based on research by City University London and with that in mind did you ever face any barriers um, especially as not just a person of an EC background but as a woman too in the media industry? I think you realize like again like a lot of it is down to contacts and mates like I won't name names but it was a lot of people like oh my dad works in so-and-so like I I can easily get an internship there or I know so and so can get in. Well, that's like really frustrating when, you know, as a woman of colour who has worked really hard and comes from like outside of London where there's not much opportunity and had to like create a lot for herself to get to where she is and make the big jump to go to the city. So I do think that is, you know, you already got like extra barriers up against you. But I think as a woman and uh, as a person of colour as well, like, I always worry, I shoebox myself whenever I write anything like Chinese or anything is solely focusing on food topics. Like I'm so much more than just like a food writer or the labels that we kind of give ourselves. And um, especially when I write such like personal things and I put a lot of myself out there in my work. And I do think a lot of people of colour kind of grapple with the same feeling of like, oh, am I writing this? Because like I'm Asian or Black or Latino. Like, am I, do I only get to write about my trauma, race or identity and personal life? Like, is this what I've been reduced down to when I can write so much more than that? And um, I think a lot of, you know, people of colour, you know, always have to feel like they have to have this extra barrier. Like they have to kind of prove their worth almost. And they are not really given a free pass to write what they want and they constantly have to kind of explain themselves without like having people judge them like oh you're not a formative figure on this you're not expert enough on this like in anything worries like I feel I'm not like creating like an us versus them situation but I feel like with a white journalist who just gets to write what they want and they don't face a similar consequence in a way so I feel like there's always a sense of unique imposter syndrome that we're never good enough compared to our white peers um, but like, luckily I've worked with some incredible editors who like commissioned me not just for like the Chinese stories or like the food stories like they know I'm a good writer in terms of like feature writing and interviewing people um, so yeah I feel like there's always that mentality where you're like oh I'm not good enough or like this is just not as good as something else so I think that's kind of the unexpected barriers that I didn't realize like, I would have to face so it's a lot of like self-examining and uh, like, yeah, I think just like questioning yourself constantly. Yeah, for sure. I really relate to that, you know, point about, you know, the paradox between like wanting to share your personal story, but then also feeling like you're being pedestaled only to write your personal story and your trauma um, for an audience who are consuming your work in the capitalist system that we live in (laughs) Um, and that kind of internal battle is something that I think about so often too and then the ways in which you know journalists of colour are so often you know called on to be the experts on on race and and represent entire demographics in so many ways I think for me um yeah, you know, I'm I'm mixed race. My mom's Malaysian Chinese. My dad's white British, and for me, like navigating space has been, you know, a lot of like self reflection, especially over the last year. I think, um, you know, it it's been so sort of eye opening the things that um I've heard people say and the ways people you know, feel comfortable speaking around me with the idea in mind that I'm racialized as white and that kind of erasure is is really sort of interesting and painful and challenging all at the same time you know and I think that that's really that really made me sort of reorient my priorities over the last year for sure um and I think I 
think the struggle of, of not feeling like you're being taken seriously sometimes, um, not feeling like your your story is has value, and and like Angela said, like not feeling like you're respected as as an authority or as an expert on something that you do know a lot about. Whereas it's it's different for other counterparts for sure. And then those challenges those challenges are very real. And now I'm like, oh, I don't want it to sound like I'm p- putting people off getting into journalism because it is, you know, amazing and and you know it's it's so rewarding and fulfilling. But you know the the challenges as as women of color are are difficult and complex as they are as they are in many industries. But I think there is something particular about you know the ways in which we are expected to tell our stories sometimes um, with a lack of a lack of nuance from from some folks in the industry, which is you know dominated by one demographic as we know. Yeah, let's talk about the past year because, you know, that's how we came together. That's how we met. Um, A lot of stuff has happened. How have the events in the past year actually changed you or changed the landscape of journalism as you see it? Because I know, Siyin, you wrote some really amazingly important articles in Gaudem on certain subject matters. Like, how have those events affected you and how you work as a journalist? Yeah, I think I think it's been it's been huge. I think it's such a combination of things, you know. I think the pandemic as well, forcing people to slow down. I know this for so many people to be true as well. Forcing me for me to really slow down and think about the priorities that I have and and the kind of environment that I want to be working in, the people that I want to be working around, the storytelling that I want to be doing has all just been so sharply brought into focus this year. I think for me for sure a turning point was um the Atlanta shootings in in March um just because I I saw the the ways in which that was responded to um by by you know several media outlets and just did not appreciate the kind of coverage and the reaction and the tone and and sort of internal conversations as well it was it was painful it was very very painful and that was a huge you know it really made me reconsider many things um and I think in terms of you know it, it kind of made me reconsider you know what what I want to be doing and I think it it made me think about what could be possible and to you know come back to Gaudem where that layer of having to sort of deal with the explaining and deal with the um you know, they're having to you know, break down really basic, simple concepts <laughs> um, is is put to the side because you're coming at it from a place of, yes, different experiences and different live, lived experiences and identities, but that kind of common understanding, um, I think, is super important. I think, you know, it's it's changed me as a, as a journalist in feeling more comfortable and confident to speak about these things and speak up on these issues when I see other people aren't, aren't doing so in the past I've felt uncomfortable doing that because you know because of you know the way that I'm so often racialized and because of being mixed race sometimes it is hard to fully lean into that because I'm like you know I want to be cognizant of not taking up too much space but at the same time if I have a platform then I feel like I should use that to lift up you know the folks in our community so I think you know just thinking about all these things and and all the time it's definitely brought a lot brought a lot into focus for me um blurred things for me for sure um but has been has been pretty transformative to be honest and has put me in contact with with um you Amy um and I think that's been that's been such a positive I feel like there's definitely been more of a sense of community last year um among uh, EC folks and I think that's really really beautiful actually yeah, I, I was really definitely really thankful for those connections because I remember um, BC started before the Atlanta shootings happened. And then when it did happen, it brought in a big influx of interest in people wanting to find out more and to maybe help in better comments. So quite a few um, media outlets would come to us wanting an interview and, you know, they'd approach it in such an inappropriate and insensitive way. And then I remember uh, myself and Mayan speaking to you, Ian, because you were writing an article and we immediately felt at ease. You know, there was an understanding um, sort of unspoken words that, you know, we, we could be safe with each other. And I was really thankful for that. And, you know, also with you, Angela, I know that you've been a supporter of um, our petition from the beginning because uh, Vivian, one of our co-founders, started a petition to call our news outlets to stop using uh, faces of EC people in their corona-related reporting. And uh, I remember coming across you then and 
the way that you spoke, um, you know, on your social media and your stories was so eloquent and it really talked about things that I couldn't say in a clear and um, perceptive way. And it just made me think, oh, things that I have felt, um, you have been able to vocalize in a way that I didn't think uh, ever could be. And so, yeah, I was just wondering how it has affected you in the past year as well and your work too, Angela. Yeah, um, very similar again, to like what Sia has said, it's like it has been a, like an uptick in terms of like community and people just like speaking out for what's wrong or, you know, not being afraid to use their voice. Like everyone is the most powerful thing is a collective voice when everyone feels same. Like I've met so many friends through anger, really, in a way, that we're all like equally angry and tired about the same thing. Um, in terms of like food wise there was that restaurant called Somsa a Thai restaurant um, like a couple of years ago and I met a lot of friends through that and it was just basically a white guy cooking Thai food but he was doing these like really really racist like videos cooking videos and just doing this like the whole like Asian voice kind of like you know it was very much like oh I'm on a gap here so I'm going to cook all this kind of food and then do it better than you while profiting off Asian culture like I feel like that happens time and time again I mean uh look at like Ivy Asia for example like this year in Breakfast Cure which is like the congee woman um I feel like it's just constant and the more it's tiring and it's exhausting but the more that we kind of call it out and the more that we educate people and it's not about cancelling people like oh you can't do this or white people come back this it's just more about you know learning and educating yourself in terms of oh, why this is a role why people are you know upset about these things and why it's just respect <laughs> like that's what we're asking for is just respecting and asking to do a bit of research like oh so something might you know you might be cooking something new and amazing because you've discovered it now but what about all the like old thousand year history that you might not know about like I feel like you just needs to there just needs to be a lot more like respect in terms of that space um and yeah I guess in terms of voice like obviously I have got it in hot water before in terms of like <laughs> using my voice and saying things um but I feel like in the past year I feel like I've really grown into being a lot more vocal rather than being like oh I'm worried about what people might think or how it will be perceived um like obviously you still do have to be careful as like a journalist because you're very public in terms of you know your community and your writing things I think the thing you worry most about is like oh can this kind of can you be sued <laughs> you know can this be like defamed or whatever um but I do feel like it's important to use your voice and standing up for what's right and what's wrong, especially after all the anti-Asian, you know, rhetoric. Um, and I think, you know, like, for example, like my investigation that I did earlier this year, uh, which was like a vice investigation on like, this is what anti-Asian hate looks like in the UK. Like I wasn't expecting it to be as crazy viral as it did. Um, but, you know, I was researching this piece like months prior to the actual like mass shooting in Atlanta where like eight people died. Obviously, like most uh, most of them are women of Asian descent. And like Sian says, the the way that it was framed, it was very much like, oh, well, he is, um, you know, he has issues. Uh, so he was a white guy and he has like fetish Asian needs. So he, that's why he went to like massage parlors. And the way the framing was, it was very much like victim blaming. And it was just like, it, it just made me like sick to the stomach. And it was very much like, oh, well, like he gets a free pass, you know. But what about all the people's like women who works in the massage parlors, like family? What about their names? What about their stories? Like it just, it was just incredibly heartbreaking. And um, yeah, writing that piece, it was, uh, yeah, incredibly shocking. And I guess like the timing of it all just seemed to kind of amass to that point. Um, and it was almost like early warning signs, you know, we saw elderly being abused in the street and, you know, even I wrote a piece on it um, about, for Galdem as well, um, during the start of COVID, just saying that people were just like looking at me weird or like people were moving away from me, uh, sitting on the public transport. And I know like so many people feel the same. Um, but yeah, it was just a very emotional piece while writing it. And I cried a lot during the process, you know, hearing stories from victims being treated badly, beaten up, and then obviously being re-traumatized unnecessarily being dragged through the criminal justice system when, you know, police and, uh, when the police and like the court case doesn't 
you know, believe in your story, it's it's really heartbreaking. But I think at the time of writing, like I knew this was going to be a big story and I knew that this was probably going to be like one of the most important things I've ever written. So it was just like really important in terms of like just keep pushing. Um, and I guess, yeah, I think it's it's really important to kind of use your voice and, you know, there's a lot of power in collective, like grassroots example, like this be seen, you know, you started off as um, a campaign to like get people to like stop using Asian images depicting COVID, you know, and stop like putting a face to COVID. I think that was like such an important thing. And so now, you know, in August, you created like a whole like Asian heritage month, like it's incredible and like the work that you do, I'm not like bigging you up because you're my friends, uh, but like there's the work that I feel like there's just a lot of work in terms of like grassroots and um, there's a lot of power in that. And for the past year, I feel like uh, a lot of people who felt very alone, felt very connected this year with other people, found their tribes, um, you know, and there were so many, amazing people come out of this and that I didn't know that was there before so I'm very grateful for that sense obviously like a lot of shit has happened but I'm very grateful for the um yeah just for the amazing platform and for connecting with amazing people like-minded people who feel strongly in the same way uh yeah I feel like I waffled on a bit but yeah I'm just very grateful to have found a community that I didn't know existed before Oh, group hug. Yeah. I kind of feel like I want to... Getting emotional. But yeah, I'm very grateful. Like, obviously, it's been a very hard year, but I'm very grateful for everything that's kind of happened. Like, a lot of people have kind of bonded over this anger. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I find it hard, like, not to talk about... Or, you know, to talk about or reflect on Atlanta without crying or, like, getting upset. Because it was... I just remember it was such an emotional time. Um, But, yeah. I, I mean, I guess I actually wanted to ask the question, but I'm not sure if... Is that loud? <laughs> because I'm not the host. Okay. <laughs> um, I guess, like, I'm interested to know, actually, for both of you, you, do you feel like there's pressure to, like, always be talking and always be, like, speaking on issues and, like always be acting as like a spokesperson for our communities because I definitely relate to that and it is really hard because it's like especially in the world we live in now where everything is so like determined by social media it can seem like you're not caring about an issue if you're not speaking up on it and I'm just interested to know how like both of you navigate that especially over the last year in which so much has happened yeah like absolutely um I get it all the time I feel guilty and I was speaking to Jenny Celestial Peach about it a lot, actually, just how um, a lot of people just expect things from you. They're just like, oh, have you seen this? Like, oh, why are you not enraged about this? Why are you not? Enraged? Like, it's exhausting. It's like, um, I'm not there on social media 24-7. Like, I'm constantly, like, my DMs, my inbox, it's always filled with people just like, oh, why are you not reporting on this? Like, can you write about this? Can you, like, um, and it's just like, it's really tiring. So I feel like they just you just have to like kind of take it on as much as you can and do like little bite-sized bits in terms of your own circle without kind of wearing yourself out like rest is just as important as uh being proactive on social media and you know fighting for change um but yeah I feel like I draw the line in terms of I'm trying to go on social media less but it's very hard to not um although uh I'm very good friends with uh, Gina Martin, who is an activist campaigner, who successfully like campaigned the upskirting bill, who is an incredible woman, and she recently introduced um, like a no social media on the weekends, which I think is really interesting. And I definitely think, you know, it's it's just important to take a rest and you know not look at social media. And I think that's a problem. Like a lot of people don't realize like the internet boundaries um, of you kind of being logged on all the time and being like, oh, I have to deal with this like now kind of thing. And it's it's quite hard in terms of like getting the boundaries right. But I think it's definitely something I'm trying to implement more. Like I'm just not gonna read Instagram DMs anymore. And a lot of people get really annoyed. They're like, oh, you're not replying. But I just try to protect my mental health. And I'm just trying to protect not working all the time, not constantly like being on. Like I said earlier, like it's been the last two years, like I've only been on holiday without my laptop, which is just insane. Like I shouldn't have to do that. Um, and I'm like, constantly worrying about, oh, so-and-so has said this. I'm like, I have to reply straight away. So I think that you definitely need to carve some time for yourself 
to you know recuperate I think yeah I absolutely agree and confession time but I I pretty much are on my phone all the time and I this is so bad but I need to scroll through in order to fall asleep (laughs) it calms me down it's really bad I know that you shouldn't have your phone next to your bed or you know be looking at it just before you fall asleep but I do I get all the blue light into my eyes and it probably contributes to me feeling like constant fatigue all the time Uh, so yeah I need to be better disciplined at that and I know people who you know they put their phone in another room or there's certain hours that they don't use it and please help me because I cannot do that and it's a reflex it's something that I can't help and uh, I fully understand also that especially in COVID times in lockdown times when your phone can be the outlet to the world and can you know get you out of a bubble like it can be a privilege to have but yeah I I can be very bad at just mindlessly scrolling and not even thinking about picking up my phone but I agree um I think that self-care is so necessary um yeah with regards to people expecting you to be the spokesperson on a certain topic because you've spoken passionately about it before um I know that Uh, as mentioned be seen did start this petition and we were very vocal about you know newspapers stop doing this stop using our faces and then um, we would then get messages consequently from people who would send us screen grabs and be like hey look at this you know this newspaper has done this are you going to say something are you going to write to them I remember us having a meeting saying we should let people know that um, they should try and call it out you know the responsibility can be in your hands um it's not necessarily something that we can do all the time because we spent so much energy in a certain period of time um calling it out being very vocal being angry constantly you know this high state of tension and you know we all just needed a release to just stop doing it for a while but that doesn't mean that if you see it and you have the capacity and are willing to to just pop out an email, pop out a WhatsApp or write about it and complain yourself because the more people do it, the more likely they'll be able to listen. Um, Personally, I feel like I've seen less usage of those images. I feel like something's going through, um, but it really is dependent on people putting the pressure on. And uh, we can't constantly do that because um, we're we're people. And I know on screen, we seem very one dimensional, you know, um, and constantly accessible. But actually it is so hard because we have other stuff going on and I think the benefit of this community and of knowing people who are so eloquent and uh, vocal when they can be is that I know that when something has happened and I feel passionate about something, but I don't have the capacity to talk about it then and then or, you know, put something out in the ether, uh, you know, I'm angry about this. I know that actually someone will, because before I used to let things slide a lot. I used to be angry and just be like, oh, I don't feel like whatever I say will have an effect. So I just won't I wasn't very vocal on social media but now I feel like I can log on and someone is highlighting it talking about and starting conversation so I don't feel as bad about not speaking on every single topic because first of all I'm actually I I often have no idea and I'm not very good at talking about it at all um so yeah I I think that we I've come along on the journey where at the beginning I was really angry loads and I was fueled by rage and I want to talk about everything but now I'm just like okay um I have a community of people who I know will probably speak about it at some point and I would like to as well when I can it's all about capacity isn't it it's all about capacity how, how do you guys actually chill out like you know we've talked about stressful moments and feeling pressure from all sides like how do you chill how do you chill Angela Gosh, uh, do I chill? I don't know. I don't think I do chill, <laughs> like ever. Um, it's it's hard because you're so switched on. Like even eating, like my job is to eat. Like obviously, great. I love eating, um, but my job is to write about restaurants as well. So I can't even be like, oh yeah, like I love I love going out to restaurants. But no, I do I do love going out to restaurants. Um, and it's I'm so privileged to be able to write about food and to eat about it eat about it write about it and um yeah just enjoy a meal with friends and just you know I use restaurants and bars and stuff to catch up with friends I haven't seen in a long time and it's just really nice to kind of just log off my lucky phone and just try to enjoy the moment and eat and 
you know, um, will have the shared connection over like something delicious. Um, I try to read, but I'd be merry. I'm a very slow reader. <laughs> like a lot of people are just like, how are you still reading the same book? Like I'm just really slow. Uh, I'll get there. Um, but yeah, I've got a big, a big uh, list of books that I'm gonna not uh, gonna read over Christmas break. So I'm not gonna look at my laptop. Not gonna look at my phone. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try and not be on social media because I am the same as Amy who schools. Even even with the uh, even with the limits, you know, when they're like, oh yeah, your limit is up, I'm like, no, 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 just ignore it, just carry on, you know, like, what, what's the point of a limit when you, you just carry on? Um, yeah, so I feel like just little things that make me feel good, you know, like having a haircut or getting my nails done, like nails are my thing, like I love getting nails or giving my nails, I think it's just that, um, you know, something that takes you out of yourself, you know, that you make, use your hands when you're busy, you know, when you're cooking a meal, um and you just really really like listen to you know every like really be part that's the word I'm looking for like just be really immersive in terms of like cooking you know when you're chopping an onion like really chop an onion or like when you're cooking some garlic like really smell the garlic so I feel like that really helps in terms of like anxieties and like anything like depression like I just feel like that really kind of just takes you out of yourself where you can use your hands to be busy and try to take your mind off other things those are the things that really make me feel good about myself or just putting makeup on just feeling good about yourself you know put a face mask on have a bath you know have a little self-care I think those are the best things in terms of looking after yourself yeah I agree I think like there's definitely something to be said for getting your nails done and just like sitting there and not being actually physically able to do anything because your hands are otherwise occupied so not being able to scroll on your phone I think for me I like to switch off by being outdoors being outdoors in nature um which has been like quite difficult this year because the weather hasn't been amazing but um you know getting again you know like Angela says something to take you outside of yourself and so appreciating like the sights or the sounds of the smells and really just taking a moment to have that you know sense check um, that's away from the screen I think definitely like through lockdown last year I feel like I explored every single park or green space or woodland in like southeast London um, which was very wholesome and I do want to you know try and be a bit better I've fallen off lately because we've been so busy but be a bit better at getting outdoors and getting that fresh air in and getting a bit of greenery in for sure yeah, and speaking of self-care, I, I'm going to do a little plug because obviously seeing you have a business, the Caring Touch, oh, yeah. <laughs> so anyone who needs any pampering goods, I can say now, I can vouch for the body moisturizer bar. I am obsessed with it. And I'm not saying because you're my mate, but honestly, I've used a lot. <laughs> they crumble in your hands sometimes or it doesn't come off or I'm rubbing away, nothing happens, but the Caring Touch ones just melt like butter. It's amazing, so thank you so much my mum will be extremely pleased to hear that <laughs> oh, I love her I love her <laughs> so I'm sure people will be really interested in following you so yeah let us know what's going to be happening in 2022 and also please let us know your social media so Angela let us know okay uh my social is at Angela Hoy which is H-U-I-I because some selfish person is storming it um and then on twitter is angela underscore hui uh, but i'm uh, i'm writing a book i've written it i'm very excited um we're going to properly officially announce it on the first of february which is lunar new year um but yeah i can't believe i wrote a book during the pandemic um, which is crazy um yeah so it's about it's a food memoir and it's about chinese takeaways and growing up in the chinese takeaway uh in the welsh valleys and every chapter is personal recipe with um it's about like Chinese well Chinese food um and yeah the recipes are like either from my mum uh some of them are like our own my own adaptation or some of them are like created together um and it was just really amazing to be able to spend a lot of this year um interviewing my parents really getting to know them and you know doing a lot of recipe testing and just cooking and just being closer with my family and that's just been really lovely um and you know trying to learn a recipe from an Asian mother is the hardest thing in the world you know I think a lot of people will relate um you know when you're trying to be like no I need this and grab it's like no just just throw it in or like a bit grab like you know a handful of this or you know a bowl of this but what is that 
how can I, you know, relate to that, like write that in a book? Um, so it's been tricky in terms of like recipe testing and stuff, but it's been a lot of fun. But yeah, writing something so personal uh, again and something that means a lot to me and hopefully a lot of people as well, like a lot of other takeaway kids. Um, yeah, I just hope it just kind of relates and um, it kind of comes across that it's very sincere and very emotional, I think. Um, and yeah, I hope I hope people read it, maybe. Um, and I'm also working with like Migration Museum in the next, well, like now. Um, so we're working on an upcoming exhibition next year, which I'm really, really excited about. And I'm not sure if I can like say too much about it. But yeah, it's going to come out in like March, I think. Uh, but just look out for it and it's free. We can all go and it's from my like March until December um, but yeah I'm really excited to be working with Migration Museum who do incredible work in terms of making uh, really great exhibitions like at the moment they have an exhibition about departures so it's all about like different diasporas around the world uh, like they have uh, an amazing section about the Welsh like Patagonias who like resettled in like uh, South America and then there's all like these other like people who are a bit like the Windrush generation and that kind of thing as well but yeah it's just an incredible exhibition that I never knew existed in Lewisham uh, so I recommend you check them out I think it's great uh, but yeah lots of exciting things in the new year um, but I'm ready for a holiday a proper like another holiday I know I just had one but I feel like I just need another holiday <laughs> for the past couple of years but yeah what are you up to see I think we all need a holiday my god I'm definitely ready for it um I'm so excited about your book Angela honestly I know we all are we're so proud and excited and it's going to be amazing um and just you know telling these stories that should have been told um and you're the right person to tell your story so I'm excited for sure um oh. <laughs> um for me next year I think um I think well really my main my main focus is, is Galdem obviously it's quite you know, we've got so much going on um it's hard for me to even keep track sometimes but um you know look out for exciting new partnerships with from us and um, we just launched a new podcast series called Reclaimed and Rewritten um which is you know a really really fascinating deep dive into the 1921 Tulsa race massacre um and I really recommend listening to the first two episodes which are out now plugging away um, um and you know look out for you know all the exciting things we have going on next year we're expanding our team we're expanding onto different platforms different multimedia um it's a really great time uh, to be following us and be part of our community and um yeah, I'm just looking forward to, you know, having had the first six months in the role now, kind of looking forward to the year ahead and um, continuing work with this brilliant team for sure. Oh, well, thank you so much to both of you for coming along. And yeah, I feel like I just want to cry, but in a good way, because <laughs> this is such a validating conversation to have and just to know both of you and hear from both of you is just, it just makes me so happy because I feel like I have hope. I'm just so thankful. Like, honestly, I'm going to get cheesy now, but I don't know. I don't know how I'd be if I didn't know you guys really, because I think I just wouldn't feel as connected and a bit more sad, but I, it's happier times. I, I, I feel positive. Happier times ahead. <laughs> I agree. Like it, it was very like dark at the start of the year, you know, with everything that's happened. Um, but after like everything that's, you know, we've been like rebuilding, and just feeling the love, you know, after like the, I keep saying it, but like the seeing like Heritage Month, like it was just incredible to be in that space and to be, feel seen without having to explain yourself and be in a room for a lot of people who have gone through like similar experiences. And it was just so like, my heart was just so full. Like I didn't think it would be like, oh my God. Um, but yeah, it was just really lovely to find your kind of tribe and your people and having to be validated and, you know, have, uh, you know, just have a big group hug, I think. <laughs> it was just, so, it's been so nice, like after such a, you know, true, you know, traumatizing and shit year, um, it's just nice to be celebrated and um, having to find like amazing people and friends for life and stuff but yeah it's been lovely oh 20 bring on 2022 <laughs> oh, guys <laughs> thank you thank you so much to both of you so that was our episode of but where are you from a podcast by be seen britain's east and southeast asian network 
We were joined by wonderful guests Angela Hoy and Cian Haynes, aka the Michelle Yeoh Fan Club. Um, please do follow Angela and Cian on their respective social medias. So Angela on Instagram is at Angela Hoy, that is A-N-G-E-L-A-H-U-I-I. Her Twitter account is at Angela underscore Hoy. You can follow also Cian, who is on Instagram as Cian says, S-U-Y-I-N-S-A-Y-S, and her Twitter is the same. Please also do follow Be Seen. Our Instagram is at Be Seen, B-E-S-E-A dot N, and our Twitter is an underscore instead of a dot. If you like what you've heard and you want to support us, please, please do donate to our coffee. That is ko-fi.com forward slash be seen. And we will chat with you next time. Thank you for listening. Bye, 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 bye.